Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm coming to you from the sun porch here at Otter House. Uh, this sermon on Romans 10 was originally given on 4th of July, but since most people were away, we did it as a discussion. So you were getting the unedited version here uh, from the sun porch. So we're going to begin with our scripture reading on Romans 9, uh, verse 30, all the way through the end of chapter 10. Here we go. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, 
I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we are in Romans 10. If you've been traveling with us through the book of Romans, you've seen Paul lays out this grand vision of salvation, goes all the way from chapter one to chapter eight, starting with the story going all the way back to Abraham, saying that both Jews and Gentiles are children of Abraham through faith and leading all the way to his grand vision of the renewal of all things and the renewal of even creation and the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. When starting in Romans 9, Paul makes a pivot and he asks a fundamental question. What happened to Israel? How is it that the Messiah has come and the people of the Messiah did not recognize him? So in Romans 9, Paul asks this question. Did, God, did God's word fail? No, he says, the promise has never been to biological Israel. Instead, going all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael, we see uh, that the promise doesn't necessarily go to the biological children of Abraham. Uh, it goes to Isaac and uh, Isaac instead of Ishmael and Jacob instead of Esau. And we see that God has always used the disobedience of Israel to advance the kingdom of God, going back to the Exodus and the exile. And as always, uh, Paul says that there will be a remnant, despite the fact that much of Israel has fallen away, there will be a remnant. But starting in verse 30 in chapter 9, where we started off for tonight, Paul asks a different question. He says, how did Israel muck this up? How did they mess it up? Where did they go wrong? Paul says that Israel is zealous for God. There's no problem there. The problem is they pursued righteousness the wrong way. They tried to be made right by God, not by faith, but by the law. And the law is good, and Paul makes sure that we know this, but the law can't save you. This might seem like a, an abstract theological argument, a religious argument, but I, but I think we know this to be true. If we take like a, a very basic example from the law, something like do not commit adultery, this is a good law, right? I think we can all agree that this is a good teaching that the Old Testament gives us. Do not commit adultery. At the same time, not committing adultery doesn't make you a good person, and it doesn't make you right with God. We know that, right? And in fact, fixating on the commandment can actually have some bad consequences. It can make you proud and judgy, right? You can say, well, I, I never committed adultery, not like there's sinners out there. I'm doing great. And if you read it too literally, you can say, you know, you can kind of get fixated just on the letter of the law. Well, well, I've never had sex with somebody while married, so I guess I'm good. And this is the sort of thing Jesus comes along. He actually corrects this one in particular and says, no, you didn't. This is about lust. This is about how you treat your neighbor. This is about having love. And fixating on the commandment can actually make temptation worse. That's what Paul says, that sin seizing the opportunity actually can grow desire in us when we fixate on it. 
And fixating on the commandment can also just make you fixate on shame, right? Like, why am I so terrible? Why do I struggle with this? And for some of us, this becomes the content of our faith. It's just this constant fixating on how terrible we are rather than knowing the love of God. So the law is good. Like, don't commit adultery, right? Like, that's a good commandment and one you should follow. But it can't save you. And it can't make you right with God. So there has to be another way to be made right with God. You might think, I'm not Jewish. I've never attempted to carry out the law, so I'm good here. But I think we all have different versions of this, right? In some circles, it's morality. Uh, we measure up to you know, standards of sexuality or drinking and say that you know, if you follow these things, you're good. It might be religious practices, right? If I just go to church every week, I'm good. If I read the Bible every day, if I have my prayer time every day, I'm good. All these things are great. They won't save you. In some circles, it's, it's things like social justice, right? How much we help the poor. If we just help the poor enough, we are right with God. And again, scripture tells us over and over and over again to help the poor. So the command is good. And yet, when we fixate on it, when we make it our means of righteousness, of being a good person and being right before God, it has all the same problems. We fixate on the wrong things. We try and help the poor in order to justify ourselves. It ends up being far more about our ego than ever loving the person right in front of us. It becomes the same way of judging our neighbor who's not living up to our standards. It becomes the same way of just determining who the in-group is, those who have the right positions, those who do the right things, and determining who is out. So again, help your neighbor, love the poor, but it won't make you right with God. There has to be another way. And this is what Paul says, that if we want to make what want it to be made right with God, the path is not any works, but it is faith. There's a righteousness that only comes by faith. So what does it mean to have faith? Paul talks about this, this concept over and over in Romans. He uses this word over and over, but he never really gives us a succinct definition. But reading Romans again this year, I become even more convinced faith is not really about what we do. It's not really about a theological belief. It's not about having the right boxes to check on a theology card. Faith is ultimately about surrender to Almighty God. Faith is about realizing that God is bigger than us, that we can't do it on our own, that we need God to enter in and make us new. Faith is about opening our hands to God completely and saying, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. Do in me what you will, not my will, but yours be done. It's the moment of surrender where we say, I can't do this on my own. God, I need you to come and make me new. I don't know if you've ever had that moment before God, but when we do that, something changes in us. There is a peace of God that comes, and for once, all our striving falls away. And exactly where we are, we are made right with God. 
And this is the place where we come into full surrender before God. And we say, God, do in me as you will. Make me new in Christ. It's in this place that the peace that passes all understanding comes. This is where we empty ourselves and create space for the Holy Spirit to come and begin to make things new. This is the place where ego dies and it's just us and God. This is what it means to be right with God. This is the righteousness of faith. If you've never experienced that before, I invite you maybe even just pause that video right now. Stop. Open your hands. And surrender. And let the Spirit of God come and begin to make you new. And Paul spends much of the rest of Romans 10 basically saying this, don't muck it up. Don't make this more, compli more complicated than it needs to be. The word has come near to you. In verse 6 to 8, he says, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the deep. But what does it say? The word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to go on some great religious trek to find it at Mount Everest, and you don't have to flagellate yourself until you hate yourself in order to find it. It's right there. Open your hands and receive the Spirit of God. Verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Nothing else. Don't lock it up. Now, in fairness, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, its power is a little lost in our contemporary setting because we don't really have lords anymore. It might be better for us to translate it as if we say that Jesus is king. And I mean that not to get us tangled up theologically and to muck this up, but again, it's this place of surrender, knowing that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Jesus is taking the wheel. I surrender to God. And these aren't magic words, right? It's not an incantation. I've seen someone do enough rhetorical tricks to get someone to say these words, and I'm pretty sure the person said them just so they could get out of the conversation. I don't think that, that counts. But I also don't want to take us down the road of sincerity tests of were you really sincere when you invited Jesus in? Because what Romans seems to say is that anyone who wants in is in. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus teaches this. Romans teaches this. Even Revelation teaches this. Whoever wants in is in. That's all it takes. Verse 11 to 13 says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly, richly blesses all those who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can spend lots of time trying to complicate those verses or we can sit in that simplicity Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
doesn't matter your ethnicity, your gender, doesn't matter what sort of mess you've been in throughout your life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who opens their hands and asks for the spirit of God to come can receive the spirit of God. Amen. Now, if we go back to the original part of our, our sermon here, uh, the works of the law, the commandments, do not commit adultery, go to church, um, help the poor. It's not that these things don't matter. They very much do. But what you'll never find in Romans is a to-do list. Instead, what Paul seems to say is that when you have this moment of faith, when you open your hands and surrender, you need to let it come and do its work in you. There is a moment of salvation, and then there's a continual letting it work itself out in you. Until we become grace, until grace becomes the nature of our life, until we live out grace in all that we do towards ourselves, towards God, and towards our neighbor. We let Christ come and consume us until we come to look and smell like Jesus. We let grace wash over us until grace becomes who we are. And then we go out and we act as grace people in this world. So we take our, 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 our topics from beginning, something like adultery, right? Do not commit adultery. On the other side of faith, this becomes less about following the black and white rules and more about letting grace flow through us. And in the self-emptying love of God, we say, why would I ever destroy my family in that way? Why would I ever objectify others in that way? Why would I use sexuality in order to objectify others? It's very different, right, to run your sexuality through the lens of the law and through the lens of grace. You are loved just because. Now live out that love. Same with things like going to church and reading your Bible, right? These are great things to do, but if they're about justifying yourself, if they're about the law, eventually they become obligatory, they become burdensome, and we become tired of them. But you are loved just because. You are loved in the unconditional love of God. Let that change you and shape you, and let that shape how you read the Bible whether you're part of a church, what it looks like to do your spiritual disciplines, live those things out in the unconditional love of God, seeking to grow more and more into that love and letting it shape you. And something like helping the poor. Man, there's a big difference between helping the poor so that it looks good on your Instagram feed and helping the poor because you have been radically loved by God when you were at your most poor. It might look less impressive on your resume to love the poor that way, but I guarantee you will change the world when you go out in the unconditional love of God. We constantly muck up the gospel and add all these extra rules on top of it and barriers to people coming in and all these extra things that you have to do. Because we're afraid of this radical simplicity, right? The righteousness that comes by faith. But in reality, when we open up to God in faith, when we allow grace to change us, it really does change us. It calms us. It slows us down. It gives us peace. It makes us new. 
and it sends us out to be the grace of God to everyone we meet. So what would it look like to submit your life to the grace of God, not to the law of God, to the grace of God, and let it be changed? Your sin, your calling, your social ethics, what would it look like to let God make you new? What would it look like to live out grace? Think about once a year I have to relearn this lesson because I get busy. And I get busy because I love the things of God. I love outreach. I love discipleship. And because of that, I'm constantly writing sermons or planning programs or getting back to emails or making sure the right things are on our website or whatever it is. And I get busy. And all of a sudden, everything gets complicated. And about once a year, it just gets too much. The to-do list gets too long and I just get tired and I get overwhelmed. And I finally just close my to-do list and I close my computer. And I sit with God and I pray. And I sit with God and I let that good grace of God come and shape me and meet me exactly where I am. And for once, I give my, myself permission to not need to do 10 more things to be right with God, but to just be loved by God exactly as I am. And after I sit with God a while, I sit with God a little bit more until that peace, that peace of God comes. And then after I do that, I get up and I go for a walk. And I walk around town, I walk around Mill Street here in Bristol. And I find that I have the most rich, full and meaningful conversations that I ever have. That space has been created, that self-emptying that comes through faith is there. And the spirit of God is on every word that is spoken between me and that person. The kingdom of God breaks in. Grace comes and shapes and makes things new. Maybe you've had an experience of like, like that. Where you finally just give in to the faith and the grace of God. And live out of that radical simplicity. Now, I know we have mortgages to pay, we have jobs to do, life gets busy. And some of that stuff is necessary, we have to do it. And yet at the same time, I invite you to have those moments where you come back to this radical simplicity. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Open your hands, receive the grace of God. Let the spirit of God come, make you new. Empty yourself out so that you can be filled up as Christ. And then go out and live as grace in this world. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.